Let us now give our attention to the reading of God's Word in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was of a little stature. And he ran, and he ran before and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all marveled or all murmured, saying that he has gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we give thee thanks this morning for thy word. We do ask that you would open our ears and our hearts, that we would receive it. We ask for the unction of thy Holy Spirit for the one who preaches. And we ask that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As we look at our passage this morning, um, I would remind us again, and I think in the context of what we have seen for the last 18 chapters, it's easy for us to forget, but we need to be reminded that this is Luke's account of the witness and testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke is not writing his own account. Luke is writing the testimony of what men saw as the Lord Jesus Christ came to suffer and to die. Here in chapter 18, as we are reminded of that parable or that uh, account of the Pharisee and the tax collector in chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, we see the Pharisee and we see the tax collector standing there before God. And then we <coughs> see the account Jesus foretelling the third time of what he will encounter when he comes into the city of Jerusalem. But here in our text of Scripture, we have seen two accounts here. We've seen two blind men. We see one who is physically blind, and then we see this one called Zacchaeus, who is spiritually blind. There's a wonderful story, children's story. It's quite an old story, but it goes like this. There was a wee little man named Zacchaeus, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And the Lord passed by and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down from there, for I am coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house to stay. Now that's a a children's rhyme. When I was growing up in... Um, vacation Bible school and all those times that I spent with my grandparents who had an influence on me. But as we come to this passage of Scripture, I think there's a tendency for us to look at all these accounts in the Gospels and just think they're nice little stories. 
But this account of Zacchaeus <coughs> is one that is only told in the Gospel of Luke. Here in the account of Zacchaeus, we find a wonderful encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the wonderful act that Luke tells of a man transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, we find here, and you have an outline if you're following the outline, first of all, we want to look at Zacchaeus, who is the outcast. One thing to note here in Luke's account of the gospel, and we have seen this already, is Luke, unlike the other gospel writers, shows the humanity and the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ for outcasts. There's four types of outcasts that are seen in Luke's gospel. There are the Samaritans. Those are those ones that the Jews would have nothing to do with. And the Gentiles, those who are outside of the covenant community. So there's that first type of outcasts that Luke speaks of, the Samaritans and the Gentiles. But there's a second account, and that is the account of tax collectors and sinners. And that is the account that we see here in chapter 19. Thirdly, there are the women who are outcasts. Now, that might sound strange to us in the 21st century. Why would they consider women outcasts? But remember, the Jews, particularly the scribes and Pharisees, believed that women did not have the position in society. And yet, we find here in Luke's gospel the emphasis on women. But fourthly, we see that Jesus shows his humanity and his compassion to the poor. But as we draw our attention to that second type of outcast, we see that Zacchaeus is considered an outcast. When you look at this account of Zacchaeus and look at the parallel account in uh, chapter... <coughs> excuse me. The... <coughs> In uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 27, draw your attention to Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. Here's an account told of a publican named Levi. Now remember, a publican was a tax collector. A publican, a publican was a Jew. And so Levi was a Jew as well as Zacchaeus. And it says there in verse 27 that Levi was sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And immediately Levi rose up and followed him. And it said Levi made a great feast in his house and there were other publicans and guests as well. And so we find this account that is a parallel to what we see here in Zacchaeus. And so both of them are tax collectors. But notice here, <coughs> notice here in the account that this is the only place in Luke's gospel where he is called the chief of publicans. He not only collected taxes... But he also commissioned the tax collectors throughout the region. Now, as we saw last week with the blind man, Jesus comes near to Jericho. <coughs> Excuse me. But now as <clears throat> Jesus enters into Jericho and passes through the city, he sees this man named Zacchaeus. The text tells us, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And so Luke is drawing particular attention to this man named Zacchaeus. He is the chief among 
publicans or tax collectors, and he is rich. Notice Luke gives that detail of him, that he was rich. We don't know a whole lot about this man named Zacchaeus, but one thing we do know is that his name, Zacchaeus, means righteous one. And so, in the Old Testament, there is reference made in Ezra and Nehemiah to the tribes of Zacchae, which was a form of the word Zacchaeus. And so, he was a righteous man. He was a devout man in the sense that he was morally pure. He abided by the law of God. But we don't know much about him other than what the text of Scripture tells us. But here, as we look at Zacchaeus, as the story is being told from his perspective, we find that he wants to seek Jesus. And this is quite intriguing when you look at this man because the Scripture says he was a man of little stature, As the children's rhyme is, he was a wee man, very small man in stature. But for some reason, he sought out Jesus. For some reason, he wanted to find Jesus. And the text says that he could not see him. Can you imagine a crowd of people, and you're the shortest person in the crowd? And so what does he do? He runs before the crowd. He climbs up in a sycamore tree as Jesus passed that way. The interesting thing about a sycamore tree is that it was an easy tree to climb. It had lots of shade. And so you could camouflage yourself in the the, um, leaves of that tree. And so so the crowd is pressing in. And it is to to note here that this man was not regarded by the Jews. He was a tax collector. He was a chief of tax collectors. He was one that collected all of the taxes. But isn't it interesting that this publican, this man who collected taxes, climbs up in a tree so that he might see Jesus? And so, something interesting about him, that he would pursue Jesus. Now, commentators have all kinds of questions why he pursued him. Most likely, he heard of his fame. But what did we see last week? That Jesus heals a blind man. That there were a number of blind men in this cursed city of Jericho. And most likely, he had heard of the healing of this man. Remember, he's a Jew. He is not a Gentile. But he saw Jesus entering the city. Some would say that he was most likely curious. This is the position of of, uh, Poole and J.C. Ryle. That most likely, he was just curious. It was just curiosity. I think it really goes beyond curiosity. Oftentimes, I think when we see sinners pursuing Christ, sometimes there's a sense in which we kind of impend motives. Well, we're not really sure he, his heart is right with the Lord. And I think we have to oftentimes understand that God does a work of preparation in the heart of a sinner before he comes to conversion. We don't understand that work of preparation, but there is a work that the Lord does in the heart of a man before he is converted. And sometimes we, we surmise, well, we're not sure he, he really has right motives. We can't say that of Zacchaeus. But there's something intriguing about this man that he pursues Christ. What is the extent of his curiosity? What is the extent of him going to great lengths 
to climb this sycamore tree so that he might see Jesus passing the road. I think it's more than curiosity. A man who is just simply curious would not go to the lengths that he did to see Jesus. We're not sure what he was expecting to see. He, like all the crowds of people, particularly in Jericho, have already heard of the fame and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as he climbs up in that tree, we find, secondly, the Savior who seeks sinners. It's one thing for a man to have an interest in spiritual things. But it's quite another for the Savior to seek them. And that's what we see there in verses 5 through 7. It says that when Jesus came to the place, he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Now he's sitting there, a small wee man in a sycamore tree, camouflaged by the, the um, foliage in the tree. He's looking for Jesus. How did Jesus know that he was up in that tree? Well, first of all, Jesus knows all things. He, as the eternal Son of God, was able to see and know And yet, perhaps he saw him. Perhaps he knew that he had climbed up in that tree. But the text tells us, I think this is quite interesting, and it's important to to not miss the details. He said, he looked up, saw him, and said unto him. So three things that we see of this Savior. He looks up, he sees him, and he says unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. Notice the Savior calls him by name. He calls him Zacchaeus. He draws attention to the fact that this man is in the sycamore tree looking to see the Lord Jesus. And so as he is there in the tree, we find the Lord Jesus Christ seeking him. Notice what the Lord Jesus says as he seeks him. He made haste and came down and received him joyfully. There is a sense indeed when a sinner seeks after God, but no man can seek God unless the Lord draws him to himself. There's an old hymn that's penned anonymously with these words, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He desperately wanted to see this one who heals the sick, who casts out demons, and who commands the dead to come to life. Can you... see the man sitting in that tree. And the Lord Jesus says, Hurry on down, for today I will stay in your house. Not only does Jesus come to dine in his house, but he wants to live with Zacchaeus in his house. I think that's an important thing to remember. As Zacchaeus comes down, the text shows us here the great heart of this repentant man. 
he first begins to seek him. Now, repent, seeking is not repentance. Let's not confuse the two. A man can seek the Lord long before he repents. We see so many testimonies of that. But as he sought the Lord, as the Lord Jesus Christ seeks him, now we see the repentance of this man, Zacchaeus. Notice here that as the Lord Jesus called him, he made haste, he came down, and he received him joyfully. Here is the wonderful doctrine of divine election at work. Here is that doctrine of irresistible grace. Zacchaeus didn't sit in that tree and say, well, let me think about this for a while. Let me see if I really want to come down. Let me see if I really want to dine with you. Perhaps a more convenient day. No, he could not resist the call of the Lord Jesus Christ on his behalf. And so as the Lord called to him and came down and called him to come down to him, we see that Zacchaeus shows that evidence of conversion. He shows that evidence of repentance. He's willing to obey Christ. Not only is he willing to obey Christ, but he is also joyful in receiving him. He doesn't just receive him, but he receives him with joy. And then we see that wonderful transformation in verse 8. That Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. I think this is an interesting verse. Because the text tells us that Zacchaeus came down from that tree and stood. And those words, and Zacchaeus stood, indicates his firm allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people can claim to be Christians outwardly, and yet there's no heart. But for this man, he came down and stood resolutely. He was determined that he would receive the Lord Jesus Christ and that he would make restitution for all things. Notice he addresses him as Lord. He addresses him as Master. But here in the text, remember Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He collects all of the taxes, even from the other tax collectors. And this route in Jericho that the Lord is taking was a well-traveled route. It was a major city. And there, taxes were collected. And so he doesn't say, Lord, all of the money that I have squandered from taxpayers, all of the extortion money that I have, I'll give to the poor. There would have been no, no indication of a repentant heart. But the text tells us that he takes half of his goods, those goods that he rightly owned, he took half of them. And notice, and this is always the case in Luke's gospel, he gives them to the poor. But not only does he give half of his goods to the poor, but it says that uh, if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. How well Zacchaeus knew the ninth commandment, that he was willing to give all that he had to restore those relationships that he had broken by false accusations. I think there's a wonderful reminder here in this account that we don't want to miss. How many people claim to come to faith in Christ 
And perhaps they've defrauded people. Perhaps they have a bad past. Most of us perhaps don't have that experience. But perhaps we've stolen from someone. Perhaps we have violated someone in some way. Perhaps we have violated the ninth commandment and brought injury or false accusation upon someone. And we think, well, now I'm a Christian. That's all past. It's all wiped away. But Zacchaeus teaches us this wonderful doctrine of full restitution for sins that we have committed. Perhaps a man comes to faith in Christ and he has a record. He's going to have to serve time in prison. He's going to have to pay his debt to society. And yet this man owed a debt. He had wrongfully accused people. He had taken that which was not rightfully his. And I will restore it fourfold. It's very costly when we show that true repentance. But this is opposite of the rich man that we saw in chapter 18, in verse 22. The rich man was very sorrowful. He went away knowing that he had great riches. And that's when Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Then the disciple says, well, who can be saved? Jesus says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And we see that striking verse 27 here. This would have been impossible for any man to restore fourfold. It would have been impossible for a man to go back and give and pay that debt. In fact, in the Old Testament, it re- would require a man to make restitution for his crimes, to make restitution for those things that he has taken. But here we learn that true repentance involves not only willingness to obey Christ and the joy in receiving him, but also making restitution if we are required to make restitution. And it's interesting here that oftentimes we simply overlook this, and yet Zacchaeus shows the extent of his repentance, that his repentance goes deep, that he's not just sorry. That's what oftentimes we think of repentance. Well, I'm sorry for my sins. He wasn't sorry for his sins. He, He deeply regretted the things that he did. And so he made full restitution for those things that he did. There's a story told of a Scottish believer who was asked, how many times did it take, how many did it take for you to be converted? And the man said, just me, me in Christ The man said, well, so you also were involved in that conversion? And he said, oh, absolutely. I did all I could against it. And he did all he could for it. And he got the victory. Friends, left to yourself, you will go kicking and screaming and show your hatred against God. But Jesus pursues this man, Zacchaeus. And this man, Zacchaeus, finds the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at this final point, and this is a difficult couple of verses, verses 9 and 10. But we find that salvation comes to Zacchaeus' house. We don't want to dismiss this doctrine of household salvation. Now this is always misunderstood. But when you look at the book of Acts, 
And when you see the gospel being proclaimed, the gospel comes to households. The Philippian jailer, you see the account of his whole household coming to the Lord. But our text tells us that Jesus said unto this man, This day salvation has come to this house. In other words, salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house. Now, as Jesus states that, John Calvin makes some wonderful points on these two verses. He says that today, not tomorrow, not another day, but today, salvation comes to this man's house. He says, Christ bears testimony that his faith is not hypocritical, but his faith is genuine. Now, the good works that he did did in verse 8 is not the cause of his salvation, but it's the fruit of his salvation. The Lord Jesus came, he called to him, he said, make haste and come down, for I will stay in your house. And this man comes to Jesus and shows that true repentance. And so his works are not the cause of his salvation, but the fruit. And his house, Calvin says, is the possessor of that salvation. Zacchaeus is the head of his family. God promises to be his God and even to his whole household. Salvation is extended from the head to the whole body. And I think this is a point that we must not forget. As Calvinist and as Reformed people, we believe very strongly in this doctrine of federal headship. We believe in the federal headship of Adam, that Adam was the head of the entire human race. Well, what did you do to become dead in sin? You did nothing, and yet Adam is the representative of his race. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of his race. He is the federal headship of all of those who are in him. And so as we see Christ as the head of his body, we see that in this way, the man who is the federal head of his household is the one who is responsible for the salvation of those under his care. So Matthew Henry shows us that the means of grace and salvation comes to his house. Now we don't want to hold to that false doctrine of presumptive regeneration. Just assume that, you know, everybody in that household is converted. Uh, We don't assume that in the church. There are many false believers within the church. There are many within the church who who make only an outward profession, but have no change of heart. But this man receives salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord tells him that today salvation has come to this house. As Jesus comes in verse 5, he says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And him abiding at his house shows the extent of that fellowship that he has with Christ. That fellowship that extends to a table fellowship. And so Zacchaeus shows that salvation comes to his house. And he is responsible for those who are under his care. Notice there that salvation has come to this house for so much as he is also a son of Abraham. 
This is the only point where Luke draws this out in his gospel. Son of Abraham. When the scripture refers to sons of Abraham or children of Abraham, it refers to two things. It refers to those children of the flesh who are identified with Abraham, particularly the male children who are circumcised. But also we see that spiritual aspect of the children of Abraham. We see that in Galatians chapter 3, and I think this is an important point that we never want to miss. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Zacchaeus was a child of Abraham in the flesh. But more importantly, on that day, he becomes a child of Abraham by faith. He is now identified with Christ by faith. And even his household, even though they may not have professed their faith in Christ, they're under the blessing of that salvation and trust that they too will come. But here an important point we don't want to miss. This is the purpose statement in this account. For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus came to seek and to save. We see that in the life of Zacchaeus. He sought him out. Jesus went out of his way. Sometimes we think, oh, Jesus is, Jesus is just randomly walking along the road, and oh, he sees a blind man. But no, there's, there's a purpose in everything that Jesus did, that he went out of his way to seek and to save this man. He, like all who come to Christ, are saved from the guilt of their sin. They are guilty because of Adam's sin. They're guilty because of their own actual transgressions. And they're guilty because they're sinners. But Jesus also comes to seek and to save people from the pollution of sin. Because sin has polluted not only our heart, but our desires and our affection. Sin pollutes our minds. People become entrapped to sin. People become in bondage to the pollution of sin. But Jesus came to seek and to save us from the love of sin. Oh, one can be claimed to have been saved from the guilt of sin. But if he goes on loving sin... And the question is, has he really been delivered from its guilt and its pollution? Because until one is freed from the love of sin, there is no conversion. This man was freed from the love of sin. He, we don't know if he gave up his life of collecting taxes. That's a lawful profession. And yet the text says that he made full restitution. So we see that he has given up his love of sin. But we also see that Jesus frees us from the power of sin. That sin that has a hold upon us. Here, Christ, as the Son of Man, as the, save, as the <clears throat> Savior of sinners, comes in his priestly work to seek and to save those who are lost. The object of his love are those who are lost. He takes a firm stand. Zacchaeus takes a firm stand that he will indeed freely give. He will be ready to give. He will honestly give. And we see the extensiveness 
of His giving. Oh, friends, if repentance doesn't involve a freely giving up of all things, if it doesn't extend to making restitution, how can we call that repentance? Here's a wonderful thing we find in the middle of all of this. As Jesus invites him to come down and says that he will abide at his house, we see the Jews murmuring, this man has gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. That is one of those statements in Luke's gospel that I think should make us laugh when we see it. What do you mean he's gone to be with a sinner? All men are sinners. And yet here in this account, it shows that by Jesus going to this man's house and dining with him, he identifies with the sinner. I didn't really note this until just this week. And I appreciated some of the testimony of Tim Keller. But how he had such a wonderful gift of ministering to people who were outcasts. People that sometimes the church would not reach. And yet Jesus identifies with sinners. Jesus eats and drinks with sinners. And those who are united to Christ must not be afraid to reach out to the outcast, to reach out to the one who indeed is lost and without hope. As he seeks to identify with him, the crowd sneers. And yet in contrast to the unbelief of these Jews, this Jew received salvation for himself and for his house that day. All of those in his household are recipients of the blessing that occurred in this man's life on that day. Now, by way of application, I think it's important to bring this out of the text. This day, salvation has come to this house. We've seen it in the Tindali family. We will see it again this next week. Salvation has come to this household. And the one who is the head of that house is responsible for the spiritual welfare of everybody in that household. And I don't think we take that serious as Presbyterians. Oh, we had another baptism. That baptism requires that particularly the head of that household provides for the spiritual welfare and maintenance of that family. Now, we can offer up excuses and say, well... We've done everything we can. We've tried. But we know that except the Lord work in the heart of a man or a woman, they will never come to faith. And we need to understand that. But we need to realize that fathers and husbands have a responsibility for the spiritual welfare of their children. That requires that they take a stand like Zacchaeus, a firm stand. When Zacchaeus stood, he made a public declaration and testimony of his faith in Christ. If a man or woman does not make a public declaration of their faith in Christ, it calls into question their salvation. You see it in the book of Acts. There's a public identification with Christ. And here, salvation comes to this man's house and he is responsible for those who have spiritual oversight of his family. And that involves 
teaching and training your children, bringing them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But, oh, friends, we find here, as we have found in the previous accounts of Jesus seeking after sinners, that the Savior always shows compassion to those who are sinners. Perhaps this morning, you have not been sought by Christ. Perhaps He has not pursued you. But I would earnestly plead this morning that if you do not know this Christ, that you at least begin to inquire about Him. That you at least begin to think like Zacchaeus did. Who is this man, Jesus? Because for him, salvation not only changed his household, which means that true religion changes households, true saving religion extends to how we relate to one another, how we regard each other, how we interact. But we find from this text that men should pursue Christ, that men should pursue true saving religion because it always results in the salvation that Christ brings. As we think on this passage this morning, and there's much in this passage of Scripture, but as we see the humanity the compassion of the Lord Jesus. As we see Zacchaeus seek him out and, and find great interest in Christ. We need to be reminded that we live in a day when there is not much great interest, even in the church, for the things of Christ. And I wonder if in our own lives, and, and this really calls all of us, your pastor included, to examine ourselves to, to make certain. Do I have that great interest in Christ? Do I have that wonderful desire to see His salvation come to my children and my children's children? True saving religion sanctifies the life of those who come under its influence. And the question is, has salvation come to your house? Because if it has, then you have to reorient, it, reorient your whole house. You have to learn to discipline your children differently. You have to learn how to relate to your children differently. You have to learn how to relate as husbands and wives differently. Because Christ has come to bring that saving influence upon us and upon our children. But here in this city of despair, in this city that has been cursed, we see again that this city becomes a city of blessing. It becomes a city of grace because the Lord Jesus Christ enters and brings that salvation. And as we close out this morning, I would really challenge us this morning to see Jesus for who the Scripture says that He is. Even for the crowds of people, they could have a different interest or a different idea of Jesus. But who is this Jesus? What did He come to do? And what does that mean for me? Because if we understand that He is the Savior who seeks after sinners, if we understand that He is the compassionate one who shows mercy to those who are outcast, then we need to see afresh the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ because the text drips with the wine of the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we never want to walk away from a text of Scripture, particularly in the Gospels, and not see the freshness of His grace. Oh, may God look upon us with His mercy. May the Lord Jesus Christ call us 
to have a greater interest in Him. And may we stand with Zacchaeus and make that firm resolution and our children as well that we will serve Christ joyfully and that we will make His salvation ours by faith and faith alone. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give Thee thanks this morning for the wonderful grace that You give unto sinners. We thank You that You are a guest in the homes of all who have sought You and found You. And Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are our unseen guest this morning, that You dine with us here at this table. And Lord, we do pray this morning that we would see You afresh by Your grace, that we would come to understand that we are called to take a great interest in Christ for ourselves and for our families. O Lord, our God, we thank you that you have sought us and saved us. And we pray that even this morning, you would begin to work in the hearts of even some here. that They might come to the place where they investigate and think more critically about this Christ. We thank you for the wonderful reminder of your saving grace, of that glorious encounter that many of us have had with you. And we pray that we might go forth in joy to serve you and to give you glory. And we pray in your holy and mighty name. Amen. Let us stand and...